This morning, as I mentioned a moment ago, we are in uh, 1 Corinthians. We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, and this week we find ourselves in chapter 4. We're going to go through the whole chapter, and if you have your Bible, you can flip there. It's going to be in your New Testament. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you'll see Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you're using one of the blue provided Bibles underneath your seat, that's going to be on page 953. 953. As you get there, you'll see a big number. See big number four. Little numbers. The big numbers the chapter, little numbers are the verses. So we're going to start in chapter four, verse one. Here's what God's word says. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have then that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I, will find out, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word. We're grateful for the things that we read in 1 Corinthians 4, and God, we do pray that you would help us understand what is here. Use me as your steward to be faithful and to not go beyond what is written. 
God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to be able to gather. Or as we see the issues in the Corinthian church, we are grateful that um, even though we have our own issues, or they didn't seem to be quite this bad, and God, we pray that as we look at this text, that you would use it to guard us against these things. Lord, we pray for the children in our congregation. Lord, it's a joy to hear their voices, and it's a joy to hear them making noises. God, we pray for their salvation, that you would help the parents to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, to raise them to know you, to raise them to love you. Lord, help us not be swayed by the way that culture says we should raise our children, but Lord, help us to raise them in a way that reflects godly living. Help us to take that calling very seriously. Lord, we thank you for those who serve in our church. I thank you specifically of community group hosts, those who open up their home frequently as we start a new community group term. Thank you for their hospitality. Bless them for that. God, we pray for our city. This upcoming Tuesday, we know that Westville City Council has a meeting. God, we ask that those on the council would pursue righteousness. Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open their eyes and grant them salvation. And that they would try to make righteous laws. God, we pray for our missional partnership with the Follets. We're grateful for Alex and Lauren and for the Bible translation work that they're doing amongst an unreached people in West Africa. We pray for endurance. Help them continue to learn the language and to learn it well and faithfully so that they may be able to faithfully steward the mysteries of God. And Lord, we pray for other churches, or I think specifically this morning, of church right down the road, Cross Point Church. Thank you for their faithfulness to proclaim the gospel. Thank you for their willingness to take strong stands. God, we pray that you would continue to, to bless their ministry. Thank you for partners in the gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, some of you know that just recently we had our third child, which was very exciting. Uh, but right before that, we tried to do something that would be memorable for our oldest, Finley. Um, she had never been to a movie theater before, and so what we decided to do is we're going to take her to a movie theater. And it had been several years since I had gone or since Danielle had gone, and so we got a babysitter to watch our, our other child, Lennon, and we decided to hop in the car, and we went over to a movie theater, and we ended up watching the newest Minions movie. I don't know even the name of that, but you know what I'm talking about, the little yellow people. And... We got in there, and we were excited to, to watch this, and as the movie came on, Finley was enamored with how big the screen was and how the sound reverberates through. And here's what happened. The Minions movie that we paid for played on the screen. And we watched that movie. And we left, and it was a good experience for Finley. Now, what would have been weird is if we would have paid for the Minions movie, and the movie theater played something that they called the Minions movie that would have been something entirely different, their own version of the Minions movie. We would have been a little irritated by that. We didn't, we didn't pay for your version of it. We, we paid for the real thing, so please show us the real thing. The text that we're looking at this morning has something to do with that, in that the movie theater is meant to be a steward of the movies that they're given. They're meant to show people the movies that they pay for. In the same way, as we look at this text, we see Paul reminding the Corinthian church, hey, don't, don't gather around a steward. Don't gather around a servant. We're just, we're here to deliver what God has given us. God has decided to use stewards to sanctify his people, but the main point of this text is that God's stewards 
must be faithful. God's stewards must be faithful. He uses stewards to think by his people, and therefore they must be found faithful. So the question that this text presents to us is what does faithfulness look like? The whole uh, book of 1 Corinthians, Paul starts off by giving some praise. You are a church, I'm grateful for you, but then the 95% of it is him addressing some major issues within the church. And the first four chapters are him addressing one primary issue, that the Corinthian church has been dividing themselves amongst their favorite teachers. And Paul is wrapping up his address against this particular issue, and he does it by reminding them that they are stewards. And so just some background, this letter to the Corinthian church was written in the early to mid-50s. Um, church historians will say that it was around 53, 54, 55. They're not entirely sure which year it was, but it was written around that time period, which is about 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And it addresses um, some issues that were brought to Paul from Chloe's people. We see that in the first chapter where Chloe brings a report to Paul. And then Paul later in chapter 7, he says, now the things which you wrote. So there's, there's an earlier letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He wrote to them. And then Chloe's people came back with a report, and the Corinthians had responded to Paul's earlier letter. You can think of it as zero Corinthians, if you want. So Paul addresses the issues that Chloe's people brought to him, and then he responds to the Corinthians' reply to his zero Corinthians letter, starting in chapter 7. But here, Paul is addressing this primary issue of the Corinthian church, dividing amongst themselves among their favorite Bible teachers. So, as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, each of these issues that we're seeing is going to come back to a common solution. And that common solution is unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a theme of the whole book. And so as we look at Paul's argument here, that they're just stewards, don't gather around stewards, gather around the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he does lay out some things for what faithful stewardship looks like. And we see three things that he lays out. And you can find those in your bulletin. And those are the requirement of stewards, the humility of stewards, and the actions of stewards. The requirement, the humility, and the actions of stewards. And so starting with that first one, the requirement of stewards. We see Paul is correcting the Corinthians' overinflated view of him and other Bible teachers, such as Apollos and Cephas. And he says in verse 1, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So the Corinthians were boasting, not in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were boasting in men. And so Paul says, hey, this is how one should regard us. That us there, he's referring to apostles and other early church leaders. He says, hey, don't, don't boast in us, because we're servants. We're not platform builders. We're not trying to build our own kingdom. We're servants. The master says, do this, and, and we do it. But we're servants of Christ. Christ himself is the master. And so, church, just real quick, one of the primary things that we need to always be on guard against is unifying around an individual. It's one of the reasons why we try to have several men come up here and fill the pulpit. It's not just me every week. 
I think it's healthy for the church to not gather around an individual, but to gather around the faithful proclamation of God's word. And praise God that we have several men who are able to do that. Our loyalty must always be to the master and not his servants. So Paul says they're servants of Christ, but he also says that they are stewards. And so again, he's referring to apostles and early church leaders. And he says that we should be considered as servants and as stewards. But something that we should recognize is that even though the apostles and early church leaders, the pastors, were stewards, pastors are only able to to be pastors if they are an example to the flock. And so all Christians are called to be faithful stewards. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Here's what we know about stewards that they don't own what they steward. They manage what has been entrusted to them. And Paul says that we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, if you, do, if you look through your Bible and you just do a, a word search on mystery, nine times out of ten, that's going to be referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you look at the mysteries, plural, of God, that's referring to the gospel and the other truths that God has made known through the gospel. And so when Paul says that we're stewards of the mysteries, plural, recognize that's a weighty thing. We're stewards of the gospel and the truths of what God has entrusted us with. And so Paul lays out the expectations and the requirement of stewards. Look at verse 2. He says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithfulness is the goal. Faithfulness is the goal for uh, the leaders that God has placed in his church. Faithfulness is the goal for each individual Christian. Not church growth. Primary responsibility, primary requirement for leaders in the church, for pastors, is, is not church growth. It's not bigger budgets. It's not trying to get a building. We would love to get a building, but that's not the primary requirement. It's not efficiency or website design or platform building or social media. It's not even acquiring degrees. These things aren't inherently bad things, but they're not the primary responsibility of the stewards that God has placed in his church. The call and the primary responsibility of leaders and of congregations is faithfulness. So church, you need to hold your pastors to that call, to that standard, faithfulness. Regardless of how much you may like the guy or dislike the guy, the the call is faithfulness. And so as a congregation, you have a responsibility to exercise faithfulness on your part by making sure that those who come behind the pulpit are stewarding the mysteries of God faithfully. And if myself or anyone else begins to go off on that, then you have a responsibility to bring that to the attention of the elders. You have a responsibility to not to continue to support a ministry that is no longer faithfully stewarding the mysteries of God in the way that he has designed for them to be stewarded. This is why membership is so important. It's not just so you can say, I, I'm, I'm a member, I, I belong here. It's because you're exercising the responsibility that God has entrusted you. Now, clar- clarification, both the congregation and the pastors are held to the same standard, the standard being faithfulness. However, James 3 says that teachers are going to be judged more strictly based off of that standard. 
So it's not that pastors has a, have a magical standard off ethereally that we can't really see or know about. It's we're all held to the same standard of faithfulness, but pastors and teachers are going to be judged more strictly. So hold your pastors to faithfulness. But here's the reason why. Paul doesn't just, just say that and then go off. He says, here's why. Because judgment is coming. He says in verse 3, about how with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Paul is, is making a point that judgment is coming, and so therefore, I need to be found faithful. I'm, I'm a steward. I'm, I'm a servant. I need to be found faithful because the Lord is going to return. Now, he's not motivated by what others think. See that in verse 3. He says that their judgments are a very small thing to him. He's not motivated by even what he thinks. Look at verse 4. He says, For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. So even if Paul thinks and is convinced in his own mind that he's being faithful, but if he actually is not, he's not acquitted. He says, I don't know anything, any unfaithfulness in me, but that doesn't mean that I'm right with God. The Lord will judge. And so we need to be very slow to, to trust our own emotions, to trust our own opinions. We need to bring everything under the submission of the scriptures. Is this, is what I'm thinking, is what I believe, is the actions that I'm taking, are they in accordance to God's word? No matter how well-intentioned my actions are, no matter what my, um, how, how my heart is toward it, if it's not consistent with God's word, then we need to adjust. Paul is motivated not by what others think or what he thinks. He's motivated by what the Lord has said. In Matthew 8, Jesus was casting out demons. And they said, they cried out to him, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time. Even demons knew that Jesus would return to judge. And later in Matthew 24, we read, therefore, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over the household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Faithful servants are those who deal out the spiritual food that God has given them to deal out at the proper time. Romans 2.16, Paul says, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Jesus is returning to judge. Paul knows that, and that is the motivation for him to be faithful to the text. Not what others think, not what he thinks, but because Christ has said he's going to return to judge. And so now the question that we have is, what does faithfulness look like? And Paul gives us the answer in verse 6. Faithfulness is not going beyond what is written. So it's allowing the scriptures to be our final authority in all things related to faith and practice. The scriptures are our final authority in all things that we believe and all things that we do. It's not just that it's a head knowledge that we don't do anything with. And it's not just that it's, we're trying to be good people without rooting in anything we believe. It's final authority in all things we believe and all things that we do. Now, we can't actually faithfully live that out if we don't know the scriptures. So we must make it a practice to be in the scriptures, to meditate on them. One of the best ways to do that is while you're reading your Bible, to pray what you're reading. You read something, oh, wow, that, that, that's difficult. Lord, help me. Help me be faithful in that. One of the uh, most helpful books I've ever read on that is Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. We have copies of it in the back. would strongly encourage you to check that out from the church library. Don't forget that library is there. 
You're welcome to check things out at no cost. So please utilize that. Highly recommend that book, Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. But Paul makes this point about not going beyond what is written. And so the question, or the argument that some might say, they're saying, hey, well, it's only what Paul has written here. But that's not, that's not the case. Paul's referring to all of Scripture because leading up to that point, he's quoted Scripture five times. So he's pulling from other sources saying, hey, this is, this is why I'm encouraging you to do, what you're do, or to do what I'm telling you to do. It's because God's Word is supporting it. He's quoted the Old Testament five times in his letter here, just leading up to this point. And then he says, don't go beyond what has been written. This needs to fuel everything that you do. And here's the thing. If their favorite teachers never go beyond what is written, then there's no reason to prefer one over the other. Because each one is faithfully bringing what God's word has said. And so if Paul faithfully brings the word and the Corinthian people love the word, then they're going to be grateful for that. If Apollos faithfully brings it, then they're going to be grateful for that. They're not going to side with one over the other because their ultimate love is the word faithfully brought to them. We're not to go beyond what is written. Stewards are called to faithfulness. Faithfulness is not going beyond what God has provided us in his word. It's living underneath the authority of God's word. And look, this, this, is, this is how our Lord lived. This is how Christ lived. If you look in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, says for I, Jesus is saying, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. The Lord didn't say anything. Jesus didn't say anything apart from the Father telling him what to say. John 5, 19. Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself unless he sees the Father doing it. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So John 12, we see Jesus saying, I don't say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. And we see John 5, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. Jesus is not going beyond what is written. He's not going beyond what has been entrusted to him. He's a faithful steward. John 7, Jesus says, my teaching is not my own. He says, it comes from him who sent me. So Christian, this is, this is the life we're called to, is to understand what God's word has said and not go beyond it. The great commission that Christ gave us before his ascension, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And catch this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the call for us to understand what the Lord Jesus has commanded. To understand the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We must know it, and we must not go beyond it. And so as you head into your respective workplaces, as you head into various events that go, around, go on around town, know that you are a steward of the mystery of God. And we need to find ways to bring the mysteries of God, the truth of the gospel and other truths in light of the gospel, to bear where God has placed us. And church, we must never equate success with bodies in the room, or budget, or building, or online presence, any of those things. The success of the church 
is based off of our faithfulness to God's word as stewards of the mysteries of God. So, we see the requirement of stewards to not go beyond what is written. Now we see the humility of stewards. You see that Paul initially, early on in the chapter, he's correcting the Corinthians' overinflated view of other teachers. And now Paul is correcting the Corinthians' overinflated view of themselves. So look in verse 8. Paul uses some rich sarcasm here. He says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. Paul is dripping with sarcasm here. This church is all kinds of messed up. And Paul's saying, hey, you're rich, you're full, you're kings. You don't need us. Why are you even right? But then he drops the sarcasm, momentarily at least. And he says, would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. So he points out that if the Corinthians were reigning, that would imply that the Lord Jesus has come back. Because remember at the beginning of the book, he calls them a church. So despite all of their failures and all their flaws, they are a church. So when the Lord Jesus comes back, they'll be reigning with him. And so Paul says, would that you did reign, then we'd be ruling with you. Saying the Lord would come back and these things would be taken care of. But he's making the point that he hasn't come back. You are not reigning as you think you are. You are not as full or as rich as you think you are. And so then he begins this stark contrast from verses 9 through 13 between the apostles and between the Corinthians. I'm not going to read all those verses, but I will read the ways that he describes the apostles and the way that he describes the Corinthians. Listen to this list. Here's how Paul describes the apostles. Last of all, sentenced to death. A spectacle. Now, a spectacle in that time, that was the last act of the arena. And so it was typically the most gruesome. And so what they would do is they would take the people who were going to be part of this last act, this most gruesome act, they would march them around the city and say, hey, look, look at these men. It's the last time you're going to see them. They're about to go in it's for the main event, and it's almost certainly not going to go in their favor. And so Paul says, we are a spectacle, sentenced to death. He says, we're fools, weak, held in disrepute, hungry, thirsty, poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless, laboring with our hands, reviled, persecuted, slandered, scum of the world, and refuse of all things. You can do your own study as to what he's referring to with that, but that's the list that Paul lays out for himself and the apostles. And then he says, but you Corinthians are full. You're rich. You're kings. You're wise. You're strong. You are honored. And the point that Paul is trying to get at here, and I love that he uses sarcasm. Sometimes sarcasm has a proper place. I love that he exercises that for us to see. But the point that Paul is getting at is if you are a follower of Christ, it's costly. And as you bear that cost, it will humble you. You will not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Christ himself is our model for this. He was king of kings, and yet he became a servant. He was Lord of lords, and yet he was humiliated on the cross on our behalf so that we may be exalted with him. So for Christians in the room, are we willing to identify with that first list? Or we find ourselves preferring and seeking ways to be identified with that second list? Are we willing to be identified as last of all? Worthy of death, weak, foolish, poor, poorly dressed, scum of the world, refuse of all things, the list goes on. If we are identified with that, 
Are we still satisfied in Christ? The point that Paul is getting at here, that there is a requirement put on stewards of the mysteries of God. But if you are living that faithfully, there will be a cost. And it will humble you. You won't think of yourself more highly than you ought. As your knowledge of who Christ is increases, your knowledge of how sinful you are will also increase. Your, your view of Christ, as it gets more exalted, your view of yourself actually gets worse. Because you realize, I am fallen. You realize how many shortcomings you have. And you're all the more grateful for who Christ is and what he has done on your behalf. Being a faithful steward of the mysteries of God should lead us to humility. So we've seen the requirements of humility. We've seen the, or the requirement of stewards. We've seen the humility of stewards. And now we see the actions of stewards. If you look in verse 14, Paul ends his rant by referencing five actions of a faithful steward. So we're not going to read all of them right now, but we're going to start in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So in the first part of that, there are five actions. The first one is faithful stewards admonish. They're willing to admonish. Now that word admonish, Greek, is nutheteo, which is where, if you're familiar with counseling, the idea of nuthetic counseling comes into play. And so what this is, it's a loving criticism, it's a loving warning, it's a loving confrontation to warn someone of the dangers and the consequences of their sin. How do we do this? Galatians 6.1 gives us the, the frameworks as brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So we gently and lovingly make people aware of the consequences of their sin. We hold their feet to the fire and say, this is your sin. These are your consequences. It's not because of something that happened to you in the past. We're not going to give that the ultimate uh, reason for why you are acting sinfully. You're, you're held responsible, and God will judge you accordingly. But, because I love you, I want to point out that there are consequences to this. Faithful stewards are willing to admonish. Recognize that it's not that we're defiled not by what's outside of us coming in, but we're defiled because we are fallen, and our defilement is internal. And so we need to remind one another of what it looks like to faithfully follow Christ, and if we're not doing that, then we approach, we lovingly confront. We also see that faithful stewards love. So Paul admonishes the Corinthians because he loves them. He calls them his beloved children in verse 14. So he doesn't do this just to make them feel poorly. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. He's like, I'm not trying to shame you. But I, I do want to admonish you because you're my beloved children. I love you. I want you to, to grow in the knowledge of who Christ is. I want you to grow in holiness. I want you to grow in your love for him. Faithful stewards love. Number three, faithful stewards have spiritual children. So just mentioned that Paul calls them beloved children. He's taking a vested interest in the spiritual well-being of this group of people. This is also, a.k.a., known as discipleship. He's taking a spiritual vested interest in the well-being of another. And so this happens one of two ways. It either happens through birth or through adoption. 
spiritual birth, you've, you've shared the gospel, you've evangelized the way that God calls us to, and you see that person come to faith. Spiritual birth happens right in front of you. You should take a vested interest in that person to make sure they get plugged into a healthy church, make sure they're connected with somebody for discipleship. We don't just leave them orphaned. But the second way is adoption, because there are Christians who have come to saving knowledge of who Christ is, and then they've been orphaned. They've been left fatherless. Too often we see churches and ministries rejoice in spiritual life. And praise God, we should rejoice in spiritual life. That is something worth celebrating. But too often we see them rejoice in spiritual life only to leave that new life orphaned and fatherless. The desire is to, to make heaven full rather than to make disciples. The Lord didn't commission us or give us the ability to make heaven full. He gave us the commission to make disciples. And so Paul mentions fathers and guides here. So what's, what's the primary difference between fathers and guides? Why does he use these two illustrations? Well, a father has two things, at least two things, that are different from a guide. Those two things are responsibility and authority. So, fathers are responsible for the well-being of their children. They have authority over those children. Paul says, you are my beloved children. I have responsibility for you. I came and preached the gospel to you, and you received it. And now, with my apostolic authority, I am writing to you, encouraging you how to, to live, how to address these issues. Um, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a work event. And we went to Grand Prix, which was an indoor go-karting um, thing. If any of you guys have been there, it's like 40-mile-per-hour go-karts. Sadly, as I was looking this place up uh, just to see how they're doing today, uh, they're closed permanently. <laughs> so it was a bit of a bummer. But this place was awesome. I mean, you're going around this, this course way faster than what you think a go-kart can go. They've got you strapped in with a helmet and everything. Now, the guide there, this instructor, he was willing to guide us as to how to operate the vehicle. But he wasn't willing to take any responsibility. We all had to sign waivers that if you decide to be an idiot and drive 40 miles per hour into a wall and get hurt, we are not going to be held responsible for this. Thankfully, nobody had to exercise that waiver. However, that's the difference between a father and a guide. A guide is willing to instruct, but not willing to take authority, not willing to take responsibility. Fathers do. So faithful stewards have spiritual children. You invest in the spiritual well-being of others. You're willing to step into that and say, I'm, I'm going to walk alongside you. And I'm going to take a vested interest in you to make sure that you continue to grow in godliness. This is discipleship. Number four, faithful stewards are examples. So Paul says in, in verse 17, he says, That is why I send you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere. I meant to read verse 16, which is straight before that. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. So Paul is saying, look at me. Look, look how I'm living. I want you, my, my spiritual children, to walk in godliness. Follow me as I follow Christ, as he'll say later on in 1 Corinthians 11. But faithful stewards are examples. He isn't a hypocrite. He lives what he teaches. And then number five, faithful stewards teach. See this, as I just read in verse 17. He sent Timothy to remind them of what he teaches to all churches everywhere. So this isn't just Corinth where he's saying these things. It's not just 
cultural context of, of hey, you guys have these unique things, and, and so because you're here at this time, you've got to address it this way. He says, look, these are what I teach in every church everywhere. And so the principles of 1 Corinthians, these things still are applicable to us today. And Paul sends one of his spiritual children, Timothy, to affirm that very thing. He says, hey, look, you guys are my spiritual children. I'm going to send you another one of my spiritual children, Timothy. And he's going to show you, he's going to be able to tell you everything that I teach because I've taken a vested interest in him. And he's grown in godliness. So now I can just send him and he can essentially be a carbon copy of me. This is what faithful discipleship looks like. It's that you're able to lead someone into a right understanding of who God is and they're able to act in such a way that's consistent with the scriptures as you have modeled for them. So to recap the five actions of faithful stewards, they're to admonish, faithful stewards admonish, faithful stewards love, faithful stewards have spiritual children, aka they're invested in discipleship, faithful stewards are examples, and faithful stewards teach. So those are the five actions that Paul lays out. And so he concludes this first issue, this division among teachers, by reminding them that he's coming to visit them. In verse 18, he says, Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. It's interesting, Danielle and I, with, with our two oldest, that they seem to get along relatively well when we're in the room. But as soon as we leave the room, that's when we start to hear crying or screaming. Somebody's upset. Somebody decided to take something. We have to ask, what happened? And one will say, she hit me. The other one will say, no, I didn't. And then we have to finally get to the bottom of it and realize that, okay, somebody smacked somebody. <laughs> and so when mom and dad leave the room, tends, behavior tends to change a little bit. In a similar way, Paul says, some people are acting arrogantly as if I'm not going to come. He said, I'm coming. And we'll find out, not, not just their talk, but their power. When he says talk, he's referring to mere human intellect. So they, they seem persuasive. Remember when we were talking about the, the, the speakers of that day, they came with eloquent speech. So yeah, they can talk. So let's see if their talk leads to any real transformation, any real power. Paul says, I'll find out when I come. Romans 10, 17, Paul is firmly rooted on this. He says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. As June was talking about the assurance of grace, change does not take place apart from the words of Christ. We need the word. Paul knew that. He said, there's power in the word. He said, I'll see how much power these people have. And he tells them, what do you wish? In verse 21, shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul can come gently or he can come with church discipline. As we get into the next chapter, Lord willing, next Sunday, we'll see some of that church discipline at work. But for now, what we need to know is faithful stewards take action. They don't just gather head knowledge, they act on it. We see this in Paul. We see Paul encouraging this in the Corinthians. So Christian, are you willing to admonish those you love? To nuthateo, to confront them lovingly? To be willing to have difficult conversations? Are you investing in the discipleship and spiritual well-being of other Christians, especially those who are here at your church? Are you invested in their lives? It doesn't have to be limited to those in your church, but they should take first priority. These are the people you've covenanted together with if you're a member here. Do you love the Christians that God has placed in your life?
Are you an example? Paul says, imitate me. Are you, if someone were to look at your life, could you say with good conscience, imitate me. Follow me as I follow Christ. And are you seeking opportunities to teach others about God? Faithful stewards teach. doesn't mean that you're going to be behind the pulpit, but you should have opportunities. You'll be seeking opportunities all around you at work, with your family, with your friends, to teach them the truth of God's word. As stewards, we must be, as Christians, we must be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God as he has revealed them in his word. So maybe you're hearing all this and, and you're thinking about the requirements, you're thinking about the, the humility and the actions. You feel a little bit overwhelmed. Maybe like you're falling short in some of those areas. I, I, I feel that. But we need to be reminded of the grace of God. The fact that as we are called to faithful stewardship, there has been a faithful steward. Christ Jesus. God provided us with one who perfectly fulfilled this call of faithfulness. The Lord provided us with someone who humbled himself so that we may be exalted with him. And the Lord, by his kindness, by his grace, he loves us enough to admonish us, to take action for our well-being. Hebrews 12, 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. We have a high calling to be faithful to what God has delivered to us in his word and to not go beyond what is written. We will fail at that. But we need to repent of those things. We need to call on the faithful steward who has done these things perfectly. And he's done them on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the love that you have for us. We have seen that so faithfully displayed in your son, Jesus. We've seen that displayed in the fact that you've given us your word, and we do pray that we would be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God, that we would not go beyond what you have given us in your word, that we would submit everything that we do in our beliefs and in our actions to your word. Lord, as we continue this study in 1 Corinthians, we do pray that you would continue to sanctify us. Continue to grow our love for you. Help us to put sin to death. Lord, help us to find our greatest pleasure and satisfaction in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.